Amen. Hey, I got some great news to you. Some of you have been asking about how we're doing with the Big Give and our strong here to send there. I have a great announcement that we have with gifts and pledges met our goal for the Big Give this year. And so, wow, what a great celebration for that. Uh, man, that is just thank you so much for your generosity, your giving. Uh, man, you, I just brag about you all the time. What a generous giving church this is and, and mission-minded uh, over and above, uh, just so, so thankful for you. And uh, so we praise God uh, for that. All right, so why don't you get your Bible, open it up with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. While you're turning there, there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, there are the keepers and there are the purgers. You know what I'm talking about? Those keepers, they like to keep everything. They're the people that keep the operation manual for the vacuum cleaner, all right? They, they're keeping spare parts just in case they might need. The keeper's mantra is, well, I might need that someday, or, or it's just super sentimental. They're going to keep every Christmas card for decades. You know, they're the keepers, right? We love the keepers. Uh, but then their counterpart are the purgers. Uh, the purgers say, if you haven't used it, you don't need it, right? Get rid of it. They're, they're the ones that want to purge everything. And something about January triggers purgers. I don't know what it is. Man, when January comes around, purgers is going to overdrive. Uh, and uh, I'm married to a purger, and she went after my sock drawer with a vengeance. I mean, it was like violent how she went after that thing. And then she came out of the closet with just trash bags full of clothes. We're going to get rid of this. You haven't worn this in a year. We're getting rid of it. I mean, she's purging, you know, purge, purge, right? And uh, I think we, we're, we're one or the other. In fact, uh, why don't you turn the person next to you and tell, you, tell which one you are. Are you a keeper or are you a purger? Real quick, go ahead and tell them. Yeah, no, we don't need marriage counseling here. This is not a place for marriage counseling. Some of you are married to the opposite, right? But here's the deal. Uh, what I want to talk to you today about is, is the danger of holding on to our stuff. The danger of holding on to our stuff. We're in, we're in a series called Focus. And we've been talking about different topics. Uh, Charles came out right out of the chute in January with Focus on Jesus. And then Ted followed that the next Sunday with focus on your marriage. Uh, but today what I want to talk about is focusing on your stuff. Focus on finances. And uh, let me just go ahead and say right off the top before you, before you bolt to the exit door, this is not a giving sermon, all right? This is not a giving sermon. This is a message about how should we view the things in our hands, and that's really important. How should I see and understand the things, the possession, the money that God has entrusted to me? And Jesus is talking about this in Luke chapter 12. Now, uh, for those of you um, that, that like to know this kind of stuff, Luke 9 begins the, the, the last nine months of Jesus' life. So in Luke chapter 12, we're late into the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, and in these last months of Jesus, some of his most challenging statements come out. Uh, his call to be a disciple, the sacrifice of being a disciple, the sacrifice to follow Jesus, that, that gets stronger and stronger through the gospel of Luke. And so what we're going to find here in Luke 12 is Jesus' 
strong words and, and maybe uncomfortable words, but important words for us about money and possessions. In fact, what you're going to see is a situation where two people are arguing over inheritance and they want Jesus to get in the middle of it and Jesus points to the real source of the problem and then he follows up with a powerful story to clarify it, all right? So we're going to look at what Jesus says about money and possessions. The title of the message today is The Rich Life, all right? Once you get a look at it, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. If you're with me, say Amen. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge and arbitrator over you? Then he told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now stop right there for just a minute. There's a, a two brothers, they're fighting over an inheritance. Their father has passed. They're squabbling over the inheritance. This still happens today, right? If you've ever been an executor in a will, you know that this kind of thing happens uh, today. And he's like, hey, won't you tell him to separate or divide the inheritance with me in a certain way? And Jesus is like, wow, why, why are you dragging me into this? Who appointed me to be an arbitrator between you guys? And then Jesus leans in in verse 15, and he really puts his finger on the core problem. He sees this as an opportunity to teach a lesson. And he says, watch out, be on your guard. Now, this word watch out means be alert. Wake up, head on the swivel. Be, be, be aware of what's happening. And then he says, be on your guard. That's actually a military term to defend yourself. Put up your shield. You're, you're under attack, all right? Watch out, be on your guard against what? What are we to be on our guard against? What are, what's attacking us here? Now look at what he says, all greed. I want you to circle those two words in verse 15, all greed. Some versions say all kinds of greed. Other versions say every form of greed. Now let me just tell you what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying that money is bad, Jesus is not saying that needing money is bad. Jesus is not even saying that investing and multiplying money is bad. He's not saying any of that. In fact, I could show you the opposite, that, that that's affirmed in the Scripture. But what he is saying, it, it, the warning is really found in, the, in what the word greed means. And the word greed, you can write this in the margin of your Bible. The word greed there means a desire or craving for more. A desire or craving for more. What Jesus is warning these two brothers about is the constant, continual desire for more. He's like, you guys are squabbling over your, your daddy's money, but you need to be careful that this desire for more doesn't overtake you. Be on your guard. It's knocking on your door. It's coming after you. This greed, this desire for more. Now this warning against greed is not anything new in the Bible. In fact, King Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived and one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, actually warned us about the same thing. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Whoever loves money never has enough. 
And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Same thing. Watch out. Watch out. Because if you love this stuff, if you let it get a hold of you, then you will never, ever, ever be satisfied. It's toxic to your soul. I went to the movies over the holiday and I went to go see the, the latest Spider-Man movie. Hands up if you saw the Spider-Man movie. All right, a whole lot of people saw it. Actually, this Spider-Man movie uh, raked in $1.53 billion globally. It's now the eighth highest grossing movie of all time. Can you imagine? That, that is a lot of money uh, because of Spider-Man, right? And, uh, and so I'm not going to spoil it for you, those of you that haven't seen it yet. But in this particular movie, he, he fights all these villains of his past. He's, he's encountering all these villains that he's encountered in previous movies. And instead of like uh, dealing with them, taking them out, uh, instead of that, he realizes that these villains were once good guys. They were once all scientists working in the laboratory trying to make the world a better place, but then somebody knocked over a vial or somebody plugged something in that wasn't supposed to or they, you know, something happened, something went crazy and all of a sudden, this evil influence overtake them and they were, they were turned into this monster. And so Spider-Man spent most of the movie trying to reverse the curse, trying to fix them, trying to free them from this evil influence that has overtaken them. And I remember thinking back on that movie that that's really, that's really what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you're not careful, the desire for more, the allure of more can overtake you. And it can so grab a hold of you that it turns you into somebody different. You become a different person. You, 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 you don't think the same way. You don't act the same way that all of a sudden you're transformed into somebody that you didn't used to be because you now have money and you want more. You get a little bit, you want more. A little bit, you want more. I remember hearing a pastor of a very large church that has now been discredited and out of the ministry, he said what really killed me was the, the rapid success of the church and, and the money that I was making and all these sub-ministries and, and, I, and I, I just couldn't handle the success. The, lure, the allure of more is very, very dangerous. And by the way, it doesn't just happen overnight. Nobody goes to bed and wakes up and says, you know, I just want to be overtaken by my money. I want greed to ruin my life today. I think I'm going to do that today. Let's put that on the calendar. No, nobody does that. It's just little by little, right? Just little by little. It's like you go and get you a new car and then uh, two weeks later you're like, well, I wish I had that car. You know, man, my car doesn't, and I'm not satisfied with that one. Or I go get a new house and man, I'm enjoying that. And then a month later I'm like, man, I, I, I'm, on, I'm on Zillow again. You know, I'm just, gotta, I'm looking for the newest thing in my neighborhood. I gotta, I gotta go have another one. I gotta, gotta get another one. And it, it, I'm never really satisfied. I get lots of great gifts on Christmas and then by the end of January I can't even remember what I got because I'm wanting something else. This allure of more is, is pervasive in our culture. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Guard your heart. Be, be on alert. Of all kinds of greed. 
because it's very, very destructive. You say, well, why is it so destructive? Well, look at verse 15. He tells us, because, that's a purpose clause here, because, watch out, because, look at, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. If you don't, if you're not careful, you can begin to think that life and happiness in life and success in life is measured by dollars and cents or measured by clothes and jewelry or measured by trips and boats and RVs and property and investments and, and achievement. You, can, you begin to think that that's what life is about when that's not what life is about. You can become confused with what really matters in life. In fact, these very things can actually rob you from what life is really about. You say, well, what do you mean by that? How can it rob me? Well, it, one, it can rob you of your relationship with God. Did you know that multiple warnings in the Bible uh, say, be careful with money because it can take the place of God? You say, well, Craig, I don't have that problem. I mean, I don't have a shrine set up in my house, you know, to the idol of money. Oh, really? Do you? I mean, think about how much you think about it and how much it, it pervades your desire. You know, an idol is anything that you say, I can't live without that. If God were to take every one of your possessions away, could you still be happy in him? That's a great question to ask. In fact, all the way through the scripture, money and idolatry are linked. Did you know that? In Colossians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is going through a list of vices and at the end of it, he concludes kind of with the big uh, punchline here at the end and he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry to want and keep wanting to desire and keep desiring to have greed upon greed that is idolatry he calls it flat out in Matthew 6 24 Jesus said no one can have two masters he'll either hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money so the warning here is be careful man because if this overtakes you then it's going to take the place of God in your life and your love for God will grow cold and your desire for things will grow more and more and more and more and more and it will suffocate your spiritual walk with God. It will kill it. Not only will it rob you of your walk with God, but it can also rob you of just the things that matter most in life. You know, the things that really matter, the things that give fullness to life, you can't buy that stuff. Love, tenderness, joy, relationships, friendship. These are things that cannot be bought. And these are the things that really make life worth living. So Jesus said, listen, be careful. Just be reminded that everything that you're holding on to right now in possessions and money, just remember, everything that you have eventually is going to be sold, traded, destroyed, or thrown out. Everything that you have is going to go out of date and is going to be gone. And these things cannot be the substance of your life. They cannot. So Jesus is really warning us here. 
and then just try to punctuate what he's saying, Jesus launches into a story. Jesus is a master storyteller, right? So he's going to launch into a story. Check out verse 16. He said, then he told them a parable. Now stop right there. A parable is a, uh, I, I like to say a heavenly story, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? So it's a, it's a story, a made up fictitious story, but it has a, a meaning or a lesson attached to it. So Jesus tells them a parable. Here it is. A rich man, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what shall I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. You deserve it, right? Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and these things that you had prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want you to underline that last verse. That, that's the main point. That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Basically what he's saying is, here's a story, this guy, he, he's made a lot, a crop, he tears down, he's not satisfied, so he tears down his barns, he builds bigger ones, he stores it all in there, and he says, I'm going to kick back, I'm going to retire, I'm just going to chill out, I'm going to enjoy all that I've accumulated in my life, I'm going to take it easy, and he said God required him at that moment of his life, God, God required his life of him. And then he calls him a fool. Why was he a fool? Because this guy thought he was living the rich life, living the good life. He was living the American dream, right? I made it all, I stored it all, and I'm going to live on it and, and enjoy it. He's living the American dream. But what he was really doing is living an empty life. He thought he was living the rich life, but he was not. He was living an empty life. He thought he was successful, but he was actually a failure in God's eyes. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. To spend all your time and effort climbing the ladder and being successful and building your business and acquiring things and, and entertaining yourself only to discover that it was all a waste in the eyes of God. Here, here's what I want you to jot down. If you're taking notes, jot this statement down. The rich life is a life rich toward God. The rich life is a life rich toward God, not rich in among yourself, toward yourself, but toward God. So what does that mean in this year, uh, in 2022, what does it mean for you to live the rich life toward God? And so in about 10 minutes, I want to try to unpack for you four simple practical things you can do starting this year to live the rich life, the full life, the, the satisfying life, the, the life God created you to live. All right, four things to live the rich life. Here's the first one, jot this down. Put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. The man that is in this story, he had no inclination toward God. You, you don't see him praying, you don't see him worshiping, you don't even see him thinking about God. He just goes to work, he makes his money, he thinks about what he can do with it. That's all he thinks about. There is no desire or love for God. He, he sees life through the lens of all that I see is all that there is. Super sad. And, and, and consequently, his life was a failure. 
This is a danger for all of us, right? We can get so fixated on our work and so fixated on, on our investments and fixated on stuff that we're doing that, that we no longer think about the Lord. And so the solution here is to put Jesus first. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he, said, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, get this, and life to the full. Life abundant. Life satisfied. Life overflowing. Now Jesus doesn't mean that, that he's going to overflow your bank account. What he means is that the life that Jesus gives is a satisfying life. How many people do you know that they got a lot of money and they're just miserable? I mean, you just see it every time. You know, every super athlete, they're miserable. Every, every, every billionaire is super miserable. Why? Because, because they thought that was going to give them satisfaction. And, and that's why they can't get any satisfaction is because they don't have Jesus. Only Jesus does it. So Jesus said, come to me. Put me first. I'm the one that gives you the fullness of life. I'm the one that knows you. I created you. I know what I designed you to do. And I'm the one that can fill you from the inside. Like springs of living water, the Spirit of God can well up within you if you trust him. So put Jesus first. Here's a really practical thing to do. Before your feet hit the floor, turn your thoughts to Jesus. When you wake up, your alarm goes off. You reach over. I don't know if you're a, a, one of those people that wake up before the alarm. Strange people that wake up before the alarm. I don't even understand that. Uh, and then there are those that, that, that hit the snooze button about three times. Those are the godly people. I'm <laughs> just kidding. And... Uh, but before, but when that happens, and before you pivot and put your feet on the carpet, let your heart go to Jesus. Say, Lord, thank you for protecting me throughout the night. God, thank you for giving me life and breath. God, you know the, the, the appointments I've got. You know the decisions I have to make. You know the things that are on my heart, even as I wake up this morning. Lord Jesus, I choose to worship you. I choose to acknowledge you. And I want to do my best to please you today. When you do that, you're putting Jesus first. Second thing you can do is act more like a manager, not an owner. This guy, he, he thought he owned all of his stuff. You know, he thought, well, I worked hard for it. I owned it. I think it's interesting. It says that, that the ground was productive. It didn't say that he was productive. It said the ground was productive, uh, implying here that God was the one that gave it to him to begin with. And so he thought he owned everything, but the truth is that we are all answerable to God for what we have, and what we do have belongs to God, and God has entrusted it to us. In Romans chapter 12, jot this down, Romans 12, uh, I mean 14 verse 12 says this, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's really important. Every one of us in this room one day are going to stand before God, me included, and give an account of my life. And that only, not only is what I have done for him, but how I managed the things that he put into my hands. In fact, later on in this chapter, we don't have time to get into it, but for a homework assignment, you can read the end of this chapter and Jesus goes into another parable about a king who parceled out uh, um, responsibilities and resources to servants. He goes away, he comes back, and he calls them into account. And he said, that's what's going to happen at the end of time. That you and I are going to be called into account for how we manage the things that God put in our hands. In fact, this is what the king said. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. Now think about that. Some of you have been given much. And much is required. 
We want the given much. We just don't want the much required part, right? Lord, give me much, but I just don't want to increase my accountability. Some of you have been given a lot of wealth. But you, you're held accountable to God for how you manage that. Some of you have been given lots of talent. Others, not so much, right? But, but you are accountable to God for how you use it. Some of you have been given good looks, hair. Some of us, not so much, right? But you're accountable for what you do with it. So think less like an owner, like, well, I own this stuff. You know, I made this, man. I, I built this business from the ground. You know, if it wasn't for me, I, I, I know God didn't do anything for me. Oh, yeah? Can you put thoughts together? God allowed your brain to work. Uh, did you have situations that worked out in your life? Yeah, God, uh, God allowed that to happen. Uh, can you get up and walk? Yeah, God could take that away like that. So God has provided all that you have. Think more like a manager, less like an owner. Here's number three. Uh, make eternal investments. This man's investments were only in temporal things, right? Barns and crops. He, he gives no thought for eternal investments. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 6, 19. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, give some thought to eternal investments, not just investments here. I, I talked to a guy one time. He said, Craig, I got this great investment. This is a true story. I got this great investment opportunity. You need to jump in on the ground floor of this deal. I'm like, okay, what is it? He said, ostrich eggs. He said, track with me. He goes, man, I'm gonna, I'm, I got this ostrich. I got these ostrich eggs. I'm going to sell these eggs. You can sell them for so much money. I'm going to make a killing on ostrich eggs. Craig, you got to get in on this. I'm like, ugh. I'm not so sure uh, if, that's, if that's what I want to get into. I, I, let me just kind of hold back because, oh, you're missing out. About two weeks later, I see him. He's all down in the dumps, you know, super sad. I said, what, what happened? He goes, my ostrich died. <laughs> he said, literally got his head stuck in the barbed wire fence and just croaked. Poof, there goes his investment, right? I mean, earthly investments, they're risky, Right? The, the ones that have the, the big reward, they're, they're super risky. But listen, eternal investments are not risky. They, they, they always produce a great reward and an eternal return. So are you investing spiritually? I know you're going to give a lot of thought this year to where am I putting my money? How's that Schwab account doing? How's my 401k? How's my investment portfolio? How, am I diversified? Am I putting where I need to be? Am I thinking about retirement? Am I, 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 that's great. You need to do that. You need to be a good manager. But are you equally thinking about how am I making eternal investments? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, how are you investing your time? That's the most valuable thing you have is your time. That's your life. Are you investing your time in things that matter for eternity? Are you investing your life in others? Are you in discipling and tell, uh, investing in others? Are you sharing the gospel with those that do not know Christ that are in your sphere of influence? Are you investing your resources in things that matter for eternity? I mean, in many ways, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because you guys get this. I mean, that's why you're like, yeah, Craig, but we're not afraid of this sermon. Bring it on, you know, because so many of you are so in the game and investing in the eternal things that you understand this, and it's your joy and delight to do it. And you know that when you, when you invest in eternal things that there's a great reward. You're, you're laying up treasures in heaven. 
but you need to you need to do that right to guard against greed to live the rich life to live the rich life you you put Jesus first you act more like a manager not an owner you make eternal investments here's one more let me close it with this Uh, choose to be content you need to choose to be content. This man could have chosen to be content. He could have said, you know what? I've got more than I could possibly carry in my barns. And I, it, they're full to the rafters. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Instead of building extra barns, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for how I can leverage this surplus uh, for, to help somebody else. Or, or to do good with it. Or to benefit my community. I mean, he could have done anything with it. But instead, he just kept it all to himself. You got to choose to be content. This hit me uh, really strong uh, just here in January because you may have done the same thing I did in January after Thanksgiving and then all the Christmas parties and then all the Christmas pies and cakes and goodies that people give you, you know, from the office. I stepped on the scale and went, okay, that's a big number. And I'm like, some, some, we're going to have to do something about this, right? So I can, uh, I step off the scale and I realize I have to do some things, right? I have to say no to some things. I have to do some what I call push away. I got to push away from the table, right? I got to choose carrots over cookies, right? Celery over cake, something like that. I have to say no. Now, now my, my belly wants it. My mouth wants it. I'm like, oh, but Bluebell at 10 o'clock is so awesome. Is it not? I mean, or I, that, you know, coconut cream pie is amazing. Or this is amazing. And, and so there's this want, there's desire, but there's another part of me that says, Craig, if you do that all the time, you're just going to swell up, right? And you're going to be unhealthy. So you have to say no to the thing your body wants so that you can be healthy and the person you need to be. Now listen, the same thing is true with contentment. This allure for more, this desire for more will always be with you. No matter how much money you have. Little or or a lot. There will always be this desire for more. Well, I want more of this and I want a bigger that and I want this, I want that. It's always going to be there. So what you have to do to curb it, to control it, is you have to choose to say no. Listen, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Bigger is not always better. More is not always more satisfying. And when you say no, when you could indulge and you say no, and you choose to divert those resources to things that matter for eternity, then you are controlling this greed that is always nagging at you. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 6, 6. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Charles Spurgeon, that great pastor from old, he said this, it is not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. I love that. It's not how much you have. It's what you enjoy and choose to be content with. Same thing in relationships. I can choose to be content with my wife I can, or my husband. I can choose to be content with my friendships. I can choose to be content with where I live and what I do. 
And, that, and when I say no to the lure of more, I'm choosing contentment. So Jesus gives a warning to us as we stand in this new year. Here's the warning. Watch out for greed. This constant desire for more. Watch out. Protect yourself. Always be on guard about this. Be on guard about it. And, and, and don't ever think that the things you have is what makes up your life. Instead, put Jesus first. Instead, act like a manager, not an owner. Instead, you know, make eternal investments and choose contentment. This is where you find the rich life, the life that God has for you. Won't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment together. And as I was thinking about Jesus, not only what he taught, but what he lived, I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Let me just read it to you. It said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He said Jesus was rich. I mean, he was in heaven. He owns all things. The richest that you can possibly imagine. And yet he chose to come to us. He chose to become poor and to walk this road and to die on a cross. Why did he do that? He rich, became poor. Why? So that through his poverty and through his sacrifice, you could step into the rich life. Not to life of more money, but the life of richness and fullness in a relationship with Christ. So we remember Jesus. We think about Jesus. We set our eyes on Jesus as the one who provides this life for us, this meaningful life for us. With your heads bowed, I want you to take a minute to think about what's the Spirit of God saying to you in this message? What's he pointing out to you? What, what needs to change? What's he saying to you right now?